Hey, Scott, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Can you hear me okay? So you've got a great setup there. The sound quality is immaculate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, I actually have a nice, like, Shure SM7B microphone and, and the whole thing. And I don't know, I hate it being like, I, I have a standing desk. Yeah. And I don't know, I just hate being sort of tethered. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to go old school sportscaster style <laughs> here and, and really just go for it. So. Yeah, I love the headset. I think that's the next step in my in my remote work journey is probably doing a headset. I'm still working with these like, I don't know, 2004 um, <laughs> special headphones, but there's just something about the wired connection that just gives me peace of mind. You it know? is. And, you know, part of it is don't don't fix what's not broken, right? If it works <laughs> for you, um, you know, and these are these are good for like an hour and yeah. then it's like, okay, I feel like my ears need a need a breather. <laughs> yeah. I need to get that tattooed someplace visible. Don't fix what's not broken because I feel like that is that is the theme of my life. Yeah, right. We 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 just finished a huge renovation on our house yesterday. Like they they wrapped up, they cleaned everything up. Congratulations! That's a that's a milestone. Thank you so much. And um, we are about to submit an offer on a new renovation. Completely unexpected. Just found this house and it's the same thing it's like don't fix what's not broken faith come on live in your house for a little bit i have done the like full gut renovation i've done the small like uh, we'll improve some things do a bathroom here and there yeah and then i've done the uh when i lived in austin there was a lot of new construction happening and so i just bought a brand new house from the builder and wow. i'll tell you that that's pretty great where you can <laughs> say like no customize this like i want it like this and you just yeah. move in and it's still got that like new house smell. It's pretty great. So. Man. Okay. That'll be, that's next on my list. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can make that happen. Well, Scott, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I feel like you and I can probably talk for hours and hours about developer marketing. Um, so just to give folks context, Scott, you're the CMO at Harness, which is an end-to-end software delivery system. And you use AI to automate the parts of software development that are kind of most tedious and painful for developers. So I'm excited to dive into that today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Harness's growth. I know you've leveraged open source and open source communities um, to do that. And, you know, kind of what's on, what's on the docket for Harness. Before the cloud, the developer experience was relatively simple. Developers could focus on writing code, drinking coffee, and eating pizza. Today, developers have to not only write code, they have to deploy it on demand and manage everything from cloud infrastructure to container orchestration to pipeline scripts to plugin dependencies and even security. What if a single pipeline could do it all? Simple, smart, scalable. Harness, it's the only pipeline you'll need. The last couple of years seem like they've been big. You've been awarded all kinds of things. Top startups of the year list in 2021 from LinkedIn. Um, oh, sorry, in 2020. And then in 2021, you were on TechCrunch's best startups to work for, Forbes's 50 best cloud computing companies to work for, and Glassdoor's best places to work. So it sounds like I should go work for Harness. Uh <laughs> We're hiring. So, you know. Well, we'll talk about that too. Yeah. Obviously, Scott, I really am interested to hear about you. I think, you know, everybody's career story is so fascinating. And I know you've had some some peaks in there that'll be interesting to talk about. So this is gonna be fun. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you having me. 
I would say I'm an accidental marketer, certainly not <laughs> someone that, that set off on my career path to, to be a marketer. And in fact, there were, were quite a few years where I, I avoided the marketing title altogether. Yeah. Even when marketing reported up to me, I was like, no, no, uh, you know, call me chief strategy officer, call me uh, head of, you know, growth. Sounds like a real developer. Go to market, anything but marketing, right? And and yeah, I think it comes from that natural reluctance to things that aren't factual, things that aren't, you know, proven. And Mm. marketing sometimes can have a reputation for, you know, stretching the the reality of, of, uh, of truth. So for me, I was at Amazon Web Services prior to, to Harness. Um, and, you know, in, in more of a, a product marketing role, but at AWS, product marketing wears a whole bunch of hats, everything from yeah. figuring out the campaign strategies with those teams to what is sales enablement and go to market look like. And, and then obviously messaging and positioning. So it was, it was sort of like your, your CMO or GM of, of all these little services, um, some of which were very large services at, at AWS and, um, you know, when I when I joined Harness, it was because they built this incredible product and, and company uh, at a Series C stage already um, without a tremendous amount of marketing. Mm. The product was speaking for itself. The community was growing. Sales was doing a tremendous job and still is in terms of growing the company. Um, but there was an opportunity to take what was sort of a growth, early growth stage marketing function, which stood up a website, ran a few ads, showed up at events, supported sales with with the basic blocking and tackling. And you know, how do we get that to evolve to the kind of marketing organization and the kind of contribution for marketing that would bring us to you know a billion dollar run rate? Mm. And so that was sort of the the thinking uh, since I joined. As as you pointed out, we've continued to grow. We've raised a Series D last wow. year, and and congrats. You know, more than doubled by every single metric. And so the company's done really well. And and certainly, you know, there's a lot of work to continue to do from a marketing perspective to to get to that billion dollar ARR kind of mm-hmm. mark. But, you know, it, we're building the foundations on which that type of scale is achievable um, instead of, you know, sort of on the path that they were on, which was let's let's just make sure that sales has what they need. Now it's, you know, let's make sure we have a mature marketing organization. Let's start at the foundations there. I'm sure you, you've read the book, Developer Marketing Does Not Exist. And that's always my joke when people ask what I do. I'm like, well, I kind of like my job actually doesn't exist. You know, and I think the the foundation of being able to market something to developers, which is both of our audiences, is having a product that they actually want, uh, which seems obvious. Um, but I think often we can lose sight of that as ICs and as companies. So I'd love to hear about your experience working with Harness. That's, you know, you mentioned the the mission is so, so critical and so almost emotional for developers because it it relates to their, how, how satisfied they are in their job, um, right? And so what has that been like working to market something that really does solve a pain point for devs? Yeah, I mean, you know, back to sort of my origin story as, as a developer way back when and you know, I, I do still enjoy hacking on code and, and building things. I think at, at my heart, I am a, I'm a builder. Mm-hmm. Um, I just learned really early that I didn't like getting paid for writing code. I liked getting paid for turning that software into a business opportunity and turning it into a, a, a way to solve problems for companies. I think you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of developers care about things that they like. And, <laughs> yeah. and how do you, you know, how do you 
how do you articulate that in a way that doesn't sound like marketing, mm. right? That sounds back to the the truthiness meter um, of like, okay, it, is what I'm telling you real? Can someone identify this product, download it, sign up for it, use it, and in minutes realize the value of that mm-hmm. in a way that's tangible? And I think developer marketing is a very real thing. Anyone that, you know, I know the book has a, a, a <laughs> kitschy title, but it is a very real thing. The the nuance for for me, for Harness, for anyone that I think is going to be successful here is how do you turn what could be a fluffy marketing pitch into something more tangible, mm. into you have a problem right now, I have a solution right now, and in five minutes, you can get, you can quickly see that I'm not full of it. Right. Right. And I think it's, it's that level of just authenticity that has to come through um, as opposed to talking at a level where you've lost all of their trust before they've even tried your product, Mm. which is really easy to do. We're the best transformational digital, you know, X, Y, Z, like they're just going to go to the next thing on Google and try that one instead because you've, you've already lost credibility. Right. Right. And so I think making sure you're always talking at the right level, making sure you're delivering value as quickly as possible is sort of the, the quick route to a developer's heart. Um, right. and, and then if they have a great experience in the product, then they can become your champion and they can go tell everybody else how great this thing is. Yeah. And I know, you know, one of the key levers for growth at Harness has been your open source community. And so I'd love to hear your perspective on, on the foundations of that, um, the, the impetus and, you know, how, how you've seen it boost community engagement and then ultimately growth uh, on the product side. Yeah, I think it's important with open source that companies support and nurture the mission of that project mm. while keeping two things in mind. One is it's okay to attach your brand to that. You don't have to keep it so far away that no one knows it's yours. Right. Like, I think there's actually comfort in knowing that there is a bigger company behind this thing. So that if I spend my time integrating this into my workflow or or bringing this into my organization, it's not going to disappear because someone gave up on it next week. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, don't be afraid to attach your company to something in terms of an open source project. But at the same time, don't smother it with your brand either. Like it should be a standalone entity that that can operate and have have governance and have transparency and visibility. Um, and I think, you know, I've, I've had to do this a number of times in my career and there, there's a balance. You don't always get it right. Um, you know, I think at Harness, we've done a, a good job of, of navigating choppy waters mm-hmm. with, with the open source world and making sure that some of our key projects like drone for CI um, or uh, litmus for chaos engineering and resiliency testing like those are both thriving communities as a result of harness's involvement um, not despite it right and I think that's that's sort of the the balance to get right right it's also important that marketing leaders and and product leaders understand that not everyone is going to find a path from an open source product to your commercial offering Mm. At every company I've ever been at, there's always a conversation that happens at some point with an open source project. It's like, well, how do we get these people to pay? <laughs> and it's like, well, 
not everyone that signs up ever has an intention to pay. Not everyone has a use case where paying is important. And not everyone wants to abandon being a builder for being a user. Mm. And, and it's that last one that I think a lot of people, it's easy to, to forget that, right? And, and so thinking about it in terms of there are companies and teams where finding the best open source project and then building a team around it who is going to turn that into a project or product within your organization, there are people who like, that's what they want to do. And it doesn't matter how much push you give them to try and move over to our paid SaaS version or, or our commercial offering. That's not why they signed up for it in the first place, right? Right. They signed up for it to have the ingredients, not the finished product. And I think it's important to to recognize that, respect that, and, and support that because those people can also be the biggest champions of your of your open source project down the road, the biggest contributors to it, and, and so on. So I think, again, back to balance, like recognize that for some people, it's a path to your commercial. For some people, it's it's just where they want to be. And I think making sure you support both sides of that. Yeah. And I think understanding that they're they're each valuable in their own way. You know, brand marketing is often overlooked because it's just kind of, it's inherently really hard to measure ROI for, and it requires a lot of resources. So something like, something like an open source community, you're right. You're always going to have a percentage of folks who are not going to convert to paid users, but what they will do is trust your brand and probably talk about your brand. And when they're sitting, sitting in team meetings uh, listening to other folks vet solutions for something that, that, you you offer they're going to recommend your product because there's that awareness and that trust so it's easy for folks like you and i to see that path but i think when we're advocating for something like an open source project internally it can be it can be challenging right it it can and especially if you try and frame it as a this will be good for our brand type (laughs) type of thing right because because there is a significant engineering investment that you have to make on an mm-hmm. ugly basis. There's developer relations, there's community engagement, there's, you know, like there's all of these sort of like seemingly disconnected, but really in- integral parts of what makes an open source investment um, successful. And if they're not all there, if, you know, marketing's doing a great job with awareness, but engineering's not responding to pull requests or to issues with the code or, you know, uh, if uh, the DevRel side of things isn't showing up at the right places and the right communities to to show relevancy and an active project, like it, none of those can stand alone. And I think you you sort of really do need a mission statement as a company for why you're doing this, mm-hmm. not just like, oh, well, we have this code, let's open source it, it'll be great. We'll have a giant yeah. community next year of all these people in our community Slack. And it's like, no, you won't, right? You won't. The reason people gravitate towards open source is is sometimes first for novelty, if you truly have a novel thing out there, but then it's because there's a thriving community around it. So you have mm. to bootstrap that until the point where that's actually true. And there's a great quote from uh, from Jeff Bezos, which I'll, I'll butcher, but I'll paraphrase, which is like, he's willing to be misunderstood for a long period of time, like mm. willing to invest in something that other people are like, I don't get this for a long period of time because he has high conviction. And I think open source is very similar where if you're a company trying to succeed with an open source project, you are you should decide to make a multi-year investment 
you know, all the ingredients that are going to make that successful, not just think you're going to flip from close to open in, in your GitHub repo, put out a tweet, and now all of a sudden you've got something. It's like right. very rarely is that actually the case, right? Yeah, only for the lucky ones among us. Obviously, the growth of your open source project has been, um, it's in no small part due to your efforts, right? And I think you you touched on one learning, which is it's a commitment and you have to decide that this is a long-term strategic initiative for the company and get everybody's buy-in around that. I'd love to hear, you know, maybe one or two other golden nuggets of learnings for other folks who are maybe trying to do the same thing. What what have you found more most useful as you've grown the open source community at at Harness? So back to the you know, communities form around communities if that chicken and egg problem. I think having a really strong face of the project like pick someone in the organization. Maybe it's the person who came up with the idea. Maybe it's the project man- product manager. Maybe it's someone in marketing. It doesn't matter. Um, a, a developer relations person, but like someone or multiple someones need to be a, a human face to this project. Mm. Whether or not you have your, your corporate brand attached to it is is irrelevant. If there's not authenticity with it if there's not a human who i can go on twitter or i can go on github or i can go on a discord or wherever it is and talk to that human and see them on stage at a conference and you know hear them on podcasts and you know i want to know that there's, there's actually someone behind this and that that someone is smarter about this topic than i am yeah yeah (laughs) like that's the thing is you need sort of a a vibrant thought leader that drives the community for you um because if it's if it's no one you know if it's sort of everyone's job then it's no one's job mm-hmm. type type of problem where it's like oh we'll just have uh, product work on this we'll have marketing work on this and it's like no 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 you need someone who is genuinely passionate about this problem that is the face of this project for you um, and this goes whether you're an indie developer working on an open source project or your giant company like the, the problem remains you need a face. And and I think that person making them the mini CEO of, of this project and they're out there constantly evangelizing for it, um, that that is like numero uno in terms of how you're going to make this project a success long term. That's interesting. I think that's probably applicable. You know, we talk about trust a lot when we talk about developer marketing, and I think that's applicable for just about everything you do as a business, like doing it behind the business's logo and saying, well, this is, this is the company saying this or doing this doesn't always work. You know, having, having a face and a human and a person that people feel like they can know is critical. I think whether it's an open source community or growing or just any sort of, any sort of developer marketing. More than just a press release. Like we have this, we have this brilliant person who's quoted in the press release or, you know, whatever. And, and we're going to get her on stage and she's going to talk to you about, you know, how this is the best thing to solve your problem. Right. And you can just feel that passion oozing from from that from that person who is not just a spokesperson, but actually a user and a contributor to the project and you know leads hard technical discussions. And, you know, that that type of person, which then becomes two and three and five and ten people down the road from all different companies, like that's how you get from zero to one in, in, in an open source project. Right, right. 
Well, you and I have chosen a interesting career path, right? Developer marketing. If we've said it once, you've said it a hundred times. It's uniquely difficult um, when compared to other forms of marketing. Um, and so I'm curious to hear from you. What do you enjoy about that challenge? I like that developers are just like the ultimate sniffers of BS. Yes. Like, like there is, <laughs> and, and, and you know, like uh, coming up sort of through that path, I can sniff most of it myself and any, anyone that's worked with me or, or for me um, can, can attest to the fact that like I push back on a lot of things. I'm like, this sounds fluffy. This sounds like nonsense. How do we quantify this? And th- and there's a fine line between like, are we just putting out feeds and speeds in our marketing materials is it just features and specifications which no one really wants or Mm. or is it actually describing the value of our product and the solution that we bring and to do that in a way that passes the developer sniff test is very hard Um, but it's part of why it's part of what makes this job fun um you know at at harness and, and a lot of companies you're not just selling to developers though your developers are your are the people who often discover your solution, but they're not the ones that necessarily buy it. Right. And and so we do have a self-service motion at Harness. People can sign up for, you know, any of our software delivery products. But, you know, ultimately a lot of our revenue comes from them discovering it and, you know, through a enterprise sales motion or, you know, other people, we have a CIO who comes in and says, you know, I'm transforming how we build software here at this bank or this airline or whatever it is and you know our thousands of developers we're gonna we're gonna have them use harness right and so there's that meet in the middle that happens and so you know our team has to be good at both describing the individual products in a way that is compelling to a developer and describing the outcomes in a in a business centric type of of framing and you know then teaching our salespeople and our SEs and our partners how to how to find that story and meet in the middle when when you are in a sales process. I always tell folks the same when they for early folks who are early in their marketing career and I'm sure you remember that well your your career tra- trajectory was a little bit different but you're kind of faced with this big huge world of not just marketing roles but you, I mean you could do product you could do you know a, a general strategy role and the question is always like well, what, what should I care about, right? What should I be looking for? What's most important to learn early? And my sense for folks who think that they want to do marketing long-term is like start with the hardest group to market to. And if you can market to that group and if you can speak well to that group, then you can, you can do anything. You can write copy for any kind of product or service. Um, so I'm with you there. I've found it to be um, incredibly educational. <laughs> Because they will tell you if you don't do it right. <laughs> I think one of the most important skills a marketer could have is is to learn how to sell, mm. right? And and I was I was very uh, I'll put air quotes around lucky if you want to call it that. Early in my <laughs> career, I, I I was doing I was like fourteen years old, probably illegal child labor at the time, um, doing telemarketing, um, selling of all things like chimney repair and chimney sweeps. Oh my god! And um, <laughs> And, you know, you, you learn real fast how to how to get a compelling message through very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, I've spent probably years of my life on, on trade show floors and 
you know, other environments where you're having those conversations in real time. And you're seeing like, hey, if I change one word here, how does their how does their reaction change? How does their engagement change? And like that skill of being able to actually sell something to a person live versus like, I'm going to put it in a document and then it's going to end up on a web page and a, and a gated asset. Like those are all good skills. Those are important. But I think your ability to get better at your craft only happens when you're, when you're out in the real world trying it. Right. And so I, I would encourage marketers to, to seek out any opportunity, you know, go, go be a, Go be a sales development rep for a day. Make some cold calls, right? Yeah. Um, go go work a trade show booth. Go actually talk to people. Go sit in on uh, on a EBC or some customer calls if you can. Like now we have Gong and some other products that record everything, and you can sort of shadow it, and that's fine. Like consuming is good, but practicing it with actual humans um, in the real world is, is such an accelerator. And I think given an opportunity, I think everyone should, should try to take that. I totally agree. That was, uh, when I landed here at gun.io, I was charged with taking all of our inbound calls. (laughs) You're right. It's kind of like learning through pressure, um, which was was necessary. I, I know, I know marketing and sales, uh, you know, there's sometimes friction between between those teams. I, I've heard. I've, I've never experienced this myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wink, wink. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I do think that sales is hard. Yes. You know, like like you know, marketing has its challenges, but sales is hard. And I think anyone that has spent time walking in those shoes and has carried a quota or built and led a sales team or gone out and had to pitch a hundred times in a day only to get one person maybe that says like, yeah, I'll take that conversation. Um, it, it changes how you think about your job as a marketer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for my for my friends in sales and, and my peers here at Harness that, that do that day in and day out because it's hard. And the better we can equip them to succeed in those conversations, uh, you know, the better off everyone is as, as an outcome. And I think, it, you know, don't lose sight as a marketer that like, Sales is your sort of key stakeholder. Right. And They're your primary customer. That, for and, sure. and the more you can get aligned on, on what's necessary. I know we talk about developer marketing, but like ultimately at some point, generally a salesperson gets involved. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, even if it's just helping your friends in sales understand how to have those tough, uh, you know, data driven developer conversations or, you know, understanding where they're seeing friction and adjusting your enablement to, to help them overcome it. It's like, really important work that is often uh, brushed aside because there's a launch coming up or there's this happening or there's something else right like don't don't forget about the importance of that follow-through all the way through to to revenue it's good advice very sound advice well you've seen both through like your work as a developer but also at harness harness serves teams of all sizes and so i'm sure you've seen your fair share of development teams and it's something that we think a lot about here at gun like what makes what makes a great team and of all the great teams we've ever seen what's what's common among them what makes them tick so i'd love to get your sense as somebody who's been embedded for so long with development teams what what tends to be true at super high performing teams of developers so there's a there's a sign on my wall it's a it's a quote by uh 
gentleman named Graham, Graham Weston, who I worked with at, at Rackspace, uh, what feels like a hundred years ago. And you know, essentially it's, you know, what people really want is to be part of a winning team on an inspiring mission. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it matters whether you're a developer, you're a marketer, you're a salesperson, you're a finance, doesn't matter. Like I want to be part of a winning team on an inspiring mission. And how that translates for me with, with developers and to the mission of Harness uh, is is that too many developers feel like they can't get their work over the line. Mm. Like eight hours in a day, I spent 40, 40 minutes writing some code and debugging it. And then I spend the other seven hours trying to get it through all the gates in my company of approvals and checkpoints and security and this and cost and all these things to like get it out and get it launched. And it can take weeks. It can take months for this thing I spent 45 minutes on to actually see its way to a customer. Sometimes never. And so I think that as, as leaders build out dev functions in their organizations, you know, it's one thing to have a high performance SDLC powered by, you know, a modern software delivery platform like Harness, you know, plug, plug, plug that right there. But <laughs> I, I think it's, it's another thing to build a culture in which all the teams are aligned on the outcome. Mm. Like in a lot of organizations, it's almost like security's job is to stop development teams from being successful. Interesting. Yeah. On their mission, right. You could build a winning team, but my, my inspiring mission is what to like write something and then have to convince 10 other teams to let it go to production. Like That sucks. Who wants that job? No one wants that job. Right. And so there's a lot of talk about developer experience and I think developer experience is an important topic. And a lot of companies are just sort of coming around to the fact that we've created a pretty terrible experience for our developers to work at, at a lot of these companies. Um, tooling is bad. Processes are bad, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that we're helping our customers think about that are like really progressive is like how effective are your developers, right? Because if, if they're effective, then their experience in their job is going to be better because they're on this mission that they feel like they can win at as opposed to just like, oh, I have a cushy chair and I have great laptop and I have, <laughs> you know, coffee uh, delivered to me on a, on a silver platter. Like that can, I can have a good experience as a developer, but I still might not feel like I'm part of a winning team. Right. Because I'm not actually being effective. And so I think getting to that point in development organizations where, you know, you've solved the process problems, you've solved the tooling problems, and you've gotten to a culture where all the teams are aligned around the outcomes. I think that is where you see developer effectiveness shoot up. Mm. And then and then all these promises of innovate faster and deliver features faster and more velocity in your business, like all that comes true if you have effective developers. Um, but if you only have happy developers, those aren't the same thing. And, and so let's not lose sight of the actual goal as a business is to like have effective developers. And that's really what, that's what we're trying to help customers with at Harness. Well, I will be writing down that quote from your former colleague and also putting it in my office because I find that inspiring. Um, Scott, this has been incredibly helpful, very insightful. If, if folks are listening and they want to get in touch with you or learn more about Harness, where should we send them? For me, the best thing is probably Twitter. I'm just, I've been there a long time. So I'm just Scott Sanchez at Twitter. Nice. From there, you can find links to my LinkedIn and, and other places. In terms of Harness, um, harness.io. Um, and we are happy to field any questions you may have about the 
software delivery platform. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much. This has been really fun. Yeah, thanks, Faith. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.